Welcome to Ohio Matters, the Cleveland.com politics podcast. I'm Seth Richardson. And I'm Andrew Tobias. And as always, thanks for listening. Special thanks goes out to the Cleveland Public Library for making this podcast possible. If you have a creative endeavor and you want to see how the Cleveland Public Library can help, visit cpl.org. Again, that is cpl.org. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting service. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, just about anywhere that uh, podcasts are available. And when you do that, consider leaving us a uh, rating and a review. We uh, really appreciate the feedback, and it also helps people find this show. And if you want to tell us anything about this show or recommend a guest, anything like that, Go ahead and send the uh, suggestions my way. My email is srichardson at cleveland.com. Again, that is srichardson at cleveland.com. This week on Ohio Matters, we had Republican Mayor of Findlay, Lydia Mihalik. You know, we wanted Lydia on because she is uh, very young. She was elected very young, and she's a Republican and a woman. Kind of, um, you know, checks all these boxes for, I guess, the quote-unquote unconventional politician that you might think. Yeah, um, I, I'm always fascinated with the people who run for office at a young age. Like, it's very it's a precocious thing yeah. to do. Um, you know, it's not something that I've ever really thought about, and I'm about the age that she was when she first ran. So, you know, we, we like having those people on. And, and also, like, you know, obviously it's a different generational perspective. You know, we've had in the past Nan Whaley. We've had Joe Schiavone. Uh, we've had... Uh, P.G. Sittenfeld. Yeah, P.G. Sittenfeld. After that all. Right. Um, you know, even Anthony Gonzalez and all that, right. but, um, you know, we, we haven't really had a, uh, a young Republican mayor on this show. Um, and I can, I'm, I'm going to make an announcement right now, if you don't mind, Andrew, um, Ooh. I am not running for office at 31. I'm, I'm 29 right now and I will not be running for office in two years. So, but she's somebody who, uh, Republicans point to as a rising star within the party. You know, we, we get into this a little bit. She's close with, uh, John Houston, the secretary of state. Um, she, uh, you know, kind of as a counterpoint to Nan Whaley specifically, she is uh, the mayor of a city, but she's approaching it from more of a conservative direction. And that's really kind of like an endangered species today. I mean, George Voinovich was the mayor of Cleveland and, you know, Cleveland's a far cry from Finley, but still the job's the same. Um, And he was a Republican, but really, you know, in Cincinnati had some Republican mayors and stuff, but that's just kind of like one of those things that's not that common. And I think that Finley is the second largest city in Ohio with a Republican mayor. So uh, we just thought that first, I think, is Newark, by the way. Um, But we just thought she'd have an interesting perspective to provide. We're always looking for guests. You know, we're specifically, you know, always on the prowl for Republican guests. Being here in Cleveland, it's a little harder to find them around here. Yeah, you know, we've invited, like, the the likes of Dave Yost and Jim Renacci and Governor Kasich on this show. And uh, for some reason, they keep telling me, no, um, come on, guys, we'd we'd love to have you come sit down with us. But yeah, so it's a really interesting conversation. You know, uh, Lydia is somebody who might end up running for something else someday in the future. So you can kind of say you heard her now. And if, if nothing else, she's got a unique perspective on local government issues that are very topical sort of in the political environment today here on the state level. So with that, let's get to the interview with Lydia Mihalik. Lydia, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So we've had quite a few firsts on Ohio Matters here over the past couple weeks, and you are actually one of our firsts as well. You are the first guest from Findlay, Ohio. All right. Yeah. For those who don't know, uh, Lydia Mihalik is the mayor of Findlay, Ohio. She's 38. You were elected when you were... 30. Yeah, I I was sworn in when I was 31. All right. So so tell us about Findlay. Um, uh, You know, I think Andrew's lived here his whole life and told me the other day he hadn't been there yet. Are you kidding? You have to come to Findlay. Uh, I graduated from the Mansfield area, so that's like the closest that I've been. Yeah, you just got to go west on 30 and then north a little bit. 
uh, on 23 and then to 15. But, you know, Findlay is a population of around 42,000 people. At least that's what we were the last census uh, back in 2010. Uh, we are the nation's top micropolitan now four years running, uh, which means if you're going to start a business uh, or relocate a business or expand your existing business, the best place to do it out of 575 other micropolitans in the country, uh, Finley is the place to be. Um, we are the home of Marathon Petroleum Corporation, which with its acquisition uh, of Endeavor uh, finalized here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, makes it the largest company uh, in the state of Ohio and is the nation's top refiner. So not very many people know that. Actually, one of the only places in Ohio that's making tires is Cooper Tire and Rubber Company in so, Finley. So when you say largest employer, do you mean by in terms of number of employees? Uh, not necessarily number of employees. Uh, let's talk about revenue um, and, and size uh, when, when you just look at their different locations uh, across the country. So how did you end up in Findlay? Actually, um, I came to Findlay uh, as a, a young student uh, looking to further my education and utilize uh, the game of basketball to help pay for a private school uh, education as well. Um, I'm originally from Syracuse, Indiana. Um, and Findlay, uh, the University of Findlay was one of the only smaller schools uh, that I looked at, and I absolutely fell in love when I got to campus and had an opportunity to meet uh, with um, the professors there. There. Uh, political science and history department had individuals there with postgraduate degrees from Michigan and Lehigh and Duke. And so uh, it felt like a really good place for me to be. So when you got there, were you like, I'm going to be mayor of this city someday? Oh my gosh, are you kidding? No. Uh, when I got there, um, I was trying to adapt um, to, you know, being a freshman uh, and, you know, being definitely in a much larger city uh, than what I grew up uh, in and um, had really no interest at all uh, in getting into local government. So uh, why did you decide to stay there then after you graduated? So I got this uh, great opportunity to intern at the city of Finley my junior year of college. And, um, you know, my plan uh, before that was really uh, to graduate, go to law school, uh, maybe become a lobbyist or an advocate uh, in government somewhere um, and um, do good things in that space. And I actually... I got this internship uh, with the city of Findlay and fell in love with community and economic development and the impact that local government had on people. Um, and eventually, um, I, I grew to, to love it so much and also uh, was somewhat effective uh, in my position uh, working in planning and zoning that the mayor ended up hiring me uh, right when I graduated college. So you were in the Joanne Davidson, I don't remember what the class is called, but her leadership program. Yeah, the Joanne Davidson Ohio Leadership Institute. So how did you end up there? Uh, well, I applied, actually. Uh, we had a, I had a colleague and a friend uh, who was in a previous class uh, from Hancock County, uh, Jody O'Brien, who now is uh, one of our directors of our local board of elections. And we were talking about uh, my future and whether or not I was interested in potentially uh, running for elected office, specifically uh, the mayor's position in Finley. And she said, well, if you're going to do that, uh, what you should do is, is take a look at the Joanne Davidson Ohio Leadership Institute. And so I applied and I was accepted. Uh, and it was life changing for me, to be quite honest. So we've had a lot of conversation on this show kind of about women in politics and, and what can be done to kind of foster more women to be interested in, in getting involved in civic life and stuff like that. So what did you learn there? You know, I think um, in the the Institute, you know, they expose you to a lot of different things, uh, running a campaign, getting involved um, at um, at the, the statewide level uh, relative to boards and commissions. Um, you know, Mark Weaver and his public speaking uh, prowess um, 
lots uh, to talk about. Uh, government affairs, um, you know, groups, whether that's Columbia Gas um, or, or even the, the Ohio Farm Bureau, uh, there was lots to learn um, and, and many things uh, to really be exposed to. And it really uh, was, was an opportunity for me to say, you know what, uh, I think I'd like to try my hand at an executive position uh, in local government. So what was it that made you interested in running for office then? Oh, well, so we had really um, a vacuum uh, that was that had existed uh, in local politics. Uh, previous mayor prior to me uh, had kind of won on a whim. Um, and, of course, we were in the middle of the recession, um, and things just weren't going very well uh, in Findlay. And, and my, my job before I was mayor was the grant administrator for our local planning commission. And I was involved in a lot of community and economic development projects and bringing resources to to be successful in them. And, um, you know, every, every day, you know, I'd walk into the mayor's office and say, hey, you know, it's my job here to help you uh, be successful and I want to help you get things done. And what do you think? And it got to the point where uh, we really weren't doing much. And I knew Finley could be so much more. And I had a heart for public service. And I thought, you know what? Um, if, if not uh, me, then who else is going to do it? And so I eventually jumped in the race. So I think, if I'm not mistaken, that you won an all-male Republican primary. I right? did, yeah. So you were by far the youngest person in that crowd, and you're also the only woman yeah. running. So what was that like? You know, um, you know, I think uh, personally, I, I don't know that my gender had anything to do with me being elected mayor. Um, I think uh, my energy uh, and my vision uh, for what the community could be played a much larger role uh, in that. Uh, but, you know, certainly being the first... Uh, woman mayor elected um, carries with it a ton of responsibility. And, um, you know, I think Finley was ready uh, for something different. And I offered um, I offered that opportunity. And um, I'm grateful uh, for the chance to be mayor now. This is my seventh year. Did you get much party support when you were first coming out for mayor? Or were you kind of the one who was shaking things up? You know, um, I would definitely say uh, that early on in the conversations, there was lots of whispers around, you know, she's never held elected office before. Um, she's definitely younger. There there was an incumbent. Uh, we have a lot. I also ran against a longtime city council person um, and then a business person uh, as well. And so there was lots to be said uh, about that. But to be quite honest, I, I think uh, we were in a spot where uh, we needed something different. And um, I definitely, um, you know, filled that role well. I asked that question because, like Andrew said, we have sort of explored the idea of women in politics, um, especially yeah. with all the, you know, Me Too stuff and the current mm -hmm. political uh, climate. And I'm wondering, do you think that uh, the parties, um, both Republican and Democrat, are any good at sort of elevating women into the office? <sighs> I think there are, um, there's definitely uh, a, a party that's better at that uh, than others, and I can't really put my finger uh, as to why that is. Um, you know, I think historically you just take a look at the amount of money uh, that, that gets raised uh, for female candidates, particularly on the Democrat side, um, and we definitely fall behind uh, on, on the Republican side, but that's, you know, that's on us. Uh, we have to be able to offer up a product that people uh, you know, they want to buy, uh, basically, you know, people who want to choose um, to, to say yes. And so, um, you know, I would say that, you know, getting into the race, um, you know, my gender really wasn't a conversation um, piece uh, for, for the campaign. I would say that my, my gender has been more of a conversation piece since I was elected, uh, particularly uh, when you look at just, um, you know, the way, um, the way decisions are made and, and those types of things. So what advice would you have for young people who are, you know, maybe around the age of 30 and thinking about running for office? Do it. 
um, do it and do it now. Um, the voice uh, of a younger generation is so vitally important. And to be quite honest, I think, um, you know, there, there are people who are younger uh, than, you know, in their 30s that, that get involved in politics and do, do a great job and are quite successful. Um, new ideas are not a bad thing. And, you know, um, as, as women and men uh, see things differently, uh, those in different generations uh, see things differently. And I think a variety of perspective is vitally important uh, to the success of anything uh, that, that you get involved in, whether that's local politics uh, or even at the federal level. And um, I would say if, if you're interested in it um, and you feel like you have something to contribute and you've got a heart for public service, uh, then jump in. Uh, jump in with eyes wide open, uh, but definitely jump in. You know, I've talked with um, you know several young people before who've mentioned being interested in getting into politics, but the uh, the fear that they have is like, oh, well, I'm just going to lose. Mm. I'm wondering what sort of went through your head. I mean, did you ever have those thoughts like, well, I might lose, but I'm just going to do it anyway? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, if you're honest with yourself, um, you know, the reality is that um, there could be someone that uh, works harder and is more successful than you uh, in any particular campaign. Uh, but, you know, part of being uh, good, I think, um, in, this, in this profession uh, or in this, this career, um, and I'm not ashamed to say that, um, I love what I've chosen uh, to do um, uh, as a career, but I think part of that is you have to be willing to fail. Um, and that's okay, because uh, there'll be other opportunities. Uh, and if your heart's in the right place and you've got good ideas and you can get people around you uh, to believe in what, what it is that you're selling, um, then, you know, the sky's the limit. So you're a political science major in college, right? I was, yeah, yeah. So can you yeah. describe your political philosophy to us? Um, I would say, you know, that, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely conservative, uh, but I would say that, um, you know, I'm, I'm probably more in the middle uh, than most. I would say when you look at just the spectrum of, um, of Republicans uh, today, um, you know, I, fall, I definitely fall uh, more uh, middle right uh, than I do, um, you know, further to the right. Um, I would also say that I'm a collaborator um, and I'm a team player and there are people with better ideas, uh, you know, that don't necessarily belong uh, to my party. Um, and I'm willing to listen uh, to that and to make decisions based upon that. But um, my philosophy, uh, at least uh, for the last you know 30 some years, uh, has been uh, fairly conservative. So who are some people in elected office that you look up to and consider maybe an influence on you or somebody that, um, yeah, who do you look up to? So um, when I just look at, you know, when I look at the federal landscape, uh, Senator Rob Portman, uh, to me, is someone who I greatly admire, and I admire who he is. Uh, I admire uh, his role in his family. Um, I also admire the way that he serves uh, the state of Ohio, and, um, you know, I've, I've often said that there are a handful of people that, you know, uh, I would do just about anything for uh, and or, you know, run through a brick wall for, and Rob Portman is definitely one of them. Um, I would go to battle with him um, in, in just about anything, and I'd I'm proud of that, um, and I'm proud of him, and I'm proud of, of who he is and what he stands for, and I think he does a really good job uh, for us uh, in the state of Ohio. And, um, you know, so at the federal level, it's definitely Rob Portman. Um, I would say at the state level, I have a great deal of admiration and respect uh, for our Secretary of State, John Husted. Um, he has been uh, a mentor of sorts uh, for me, um, someone that in my early career uh, in politics, um, I got to know him um, when he was running for Secretary of State the first go-around, 
and uh, I was his county chair uh, in Hancock County uh, at the time, and he was the only statewide candidate, uh, only statewide elected official that actually came and stumped for me in my primary uh, back in 2011, uh, late 2010, uh, early 2011. So um, he's someone who I think um, we're kind of similar uh, in our political philosophies uh, to a point. Um, I love uh, the way that, that he approaches different problems. And, um, you know, I've called on him several times uh, for advice on, on things uh, relative to public policy or, um, you know, just politics in general. Do you get Capital Letter? It's the must-have daily read for statehouse happenings. Five mornings a week, Cleveland.com provides a daily intelligence briefing filled with succinct, timely information. It's perfect for people, businesses, and organizations that care about decisions made by lawmakers, the governor, and all of state government. From breaking news to rumblings in the rotunda, if you're not getting capital letter, you're missing out. For more information, visit cleveland.com slash capital letter. That's cleveland.com slash C-A-P-I-T-O-L-L-E-T-T-E-R. So we often focus on a lot of statewide politicians or politicians in state government or federal government. It's nice to kind of come back to local governments after a while, but it tends to be that the local officials that we talk to the most tend to be Democrats almost every single time. You know, the P.G. Sittenfelds of the world and the Nan Whaley's, like we mentioned, who have been on this show. Um, so having a, a young Republican who is running a city um, was really it was kind of refreshing. It was, it was nice to get that uh, that different take on on, you know, what she is trying to do with her city and how she's running it. Yeah, I'll go back to the Nan Whaley interview we did pretty close to the beginning of the podcast. Um, something that, that she said on that show, I mean, Nan is kind of unapologetically a progressive, you know, she's a, a liberal person and, and, and stuff. But at the same time, what she says when you're talking about running a city, it's basically like, can we fill this pothole? I'm standing in the line at the grocery store and somebody yells at me about, you know, pick your issue and stuff. And you can't really approach it, you know, from a partisan or even like an ideological perspective. It's about getting stuff done. So um, so Lydia is described as being pragmatic. You know, we get into um, the way that she approaches some issues that don't really fall neatly within a partisan box. And, and I think that, too, I mean, again, going back to George Voinovich, something that people said about him was that. You know, he was a moderate, and I think, like, he'd probably be a Democrat in today's, you know, environment. But at the same time, you know, they'd say that his experience running a city, dealing with poverty, uh, dealing with, um, you know, so if I'm, like, a conservative state lawmaker from pick a rural area, uh, you know, you can be very philosophical about limited government and that kind of stuff. But if you're in, in charge of a city and you have to deal with X problem, you can't just say, oh, well, philosophically, I don't think that this is really our problem. You know, you're not going to get reelected, right? So Yeah, all <laughs> politics are definitely local. And it, it's amazing the sort of overlap that um, she, that her and Nan really did have, considering, I think, uh, ideologically, they're, um, you know, maybe maybe not super far apart or anything like that. But like you said, I mean, it's a definite progressive against someone who is a definite conservative. And yet they still, um, I think they still kind of approach the the local problems sort of in the same way, if not with the, uh, the, the same theory behind what to do with them. Yeah, so that'll all come through in the interview. But, you know, the bottom line is that we wanted to try to see uh, and kind of pick her brain a little bit about what, what does conservative, uh, what does a conservative approach to local government look like when you're really in the driver's seat and there there are stakes that basically the buck stops with you. 
Let's get back to the interview with Findlay Mayor Lydia Mahalik. So as we said, you're the mayor of Findlay. Uh, what's it like being a mayor? It's kind of a unique job in politics. You know, I think uh, being the mayor is uh, of any community uh, is one of the best jobs you could ever have uh, in the country. And you have the ability to influence so many things um, in different um, in different environments. Um, you are, um, you know, accessible and open uh, to the people at any given moment, uh, whether that's uh, in the grocery line uh, when you're eating dinner with your family uh, or, um, you know, you're at church. Uh, so um, I love the accessibility uh, of the position. Um, and you're in a town of 40-some thousand people, so yeah. probably like, literally everybody knows who you are, right? This is true. I, I don't know that everybody knows uh, who I am, uh, but um, as the years have gone on, um, you know, you definitely get to know more people. Um, but it's a great job, and I think, you know, it's one of the best elected positions you could have uh, in the country. Um, you represent your constituency on so many different issues, and it's not just the issues that are, um, you know, maybe most impactful um, in terms of local government and um, you know, water services, sewer services, safety and roads and bridges and traffic lights and those types of things. But, um, you know, I've actually enjoyed being able to advocate on behalf uh, of the constituents uh, in my city uh, on, on statewide issues as well as uh, national issues as well. And you're also, uh, you know, a young woman. I believe you had yeah. three kids. I do. Offense? I've got three uh, beautiful, entertaining uh, children, um, almost 13, almost 11 and four. Uh, and they were all born while you were in office. Uh, right? Nope, just no? the um, just my youngest one, just uh, my four-year-old, I was born when I was in office. My other two were four and six when I was first elected. Does that present any kind of unique sort of <laughs> mindset challenges, anything like that, when you're you know getting ready to have a kid, but also trying to run a city? You know, I will say that uh, when I was um, when when I was pregnant with my third child. Um, you know, that was that definitely presented uh, some challenges because we had never had uh, a mayor with a child, um, you know, carrying a child um, during their term. And so um, there was definitely some interesting questions. Um, you know, we, we like to tell the story of the guy that just came up to the office one day who, who just wanted to touch the mayor's belly, which is really oh, awkward That's and cute. strange and... <laughs> And my staff was like, um, that's not happening. Um, I was going to ask, did you so, let him? Oh that's... my gosh, are you kidding? No, <laughs> um, absolutely not. So, um, you know, that that's definitely a challenge. Uh, but, you know, as my children get older and they're uh, more exposed to, you know, the world and what's happening and, you know, they, they don't live in a bubble. Um, so it's actually been fun over the last couple of years to talk about issues uh, that might be important um, to them or things that they hear about. Um, and sometimes we have really in-depth conversations and other times we just don't. <laughs> so it's definitely interesting. Do you ever find yourself being, you know, not only like the youngest person in the room, but also the only woman? I mean, being yeah. that you're in a you know, more conservative part of the state and we talk yeah. about how there's not necessarily women who get elevated to public office. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's pretty routine. I would say um, it's not something that's out of the ordinary for me. And, you know, I just try to be the person in the room that can contribute, um, you know, significantly to whatever the conversation is. And um, I don't really look at gender uh, as being uh, as having an impact on anything there. So we've kind of become accustomed to Democrats running cities, you know, especially larger cities. Um, you look at just uh, most of them around the state and you see that. Uh, we actually had Nan Whaley on here. Oh, uh, Nan's not perfect. Long ago, She's right? awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So uh, what does a conservative approach to city government look like? Um, you know, when we talked with Nan on the show, um, you know, people recognize their mayors because they're the ones who they have to go complain to when they got potholes. That's and, right. You know, it, it seems like the, the issues maybe aren't... Um, you know, so, so different from one another as far they're as mayors not. go. So. Yeah. So they're they're not, and you know, I think just philosophically, it 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 it, um, it matters on how you govern. Uh, so, uh, in Findlay, uh, we approach things with a fairly conservative mindset. Um, we try our best uh, to balance our budgets, stay within our means, um, create an environment that's conducive for investment. Um, Economic development is top of mind because if we grow more revenue, then we can try and expand the quality of life um, that we uh, that we have in Findlay. Um, you know, I think um, you know the 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 honest uh, answer to that question, though, is that uh, whether you're a Republican, you're a Democrat, or an Independent, you really care a lot about your community and you just want it to succeed. Um, there's just different ways uh, to go about doing that. Um, but I, I will say that, you know, I've had the opportunity to to get to know um, a lot of different mayors across uh, the state, um, some Democrat, uh, some Republican, some uh, independent, and also even across the country with the U.S. Conference of Mayors. Um, and when we get together, we don't talk about party. Uh, you know, we talk about the issues that are most important. Um, there is a great deal of, of friendship um, and openness uh, between mayors, regardless uh, of, of the letter maybe behind your name. Um, and I think that just, um, that comes with the position. And, um, you know, being a mayor is a pretty cool thing. You mentioned you've been involved with the uh, U.S. Conference of Mayors yeah. and also the Ohio Mayors Alliance. Yeah. Why did you feel it was important to get involved with those organizations? Well, first of all, uh, the Ohio Mayors Alliance um, is a very important um, organization that was formed to really have um, a voice, a much stronger voice uh, at the state, uh, at the state level, uh, relative to issues of local importance. Um, we have seen, uh, without a doubt, over the last eight years, kind of an erosion of local control. Of course, we've had this conversation around, about local government funds. Um, we've had issues uh, relative to the opioid crisis that we continue uh, to fight um, and, you know, provide what we can uh, to our to our residents, uh, even in the absence of maybe um, a coordinated effort at the state level. And OMA has really been a great bipartisan effort to be a leader in conversations uh, that impact um, cities uh, where, you know, most uh, of the GDP in Ohio is generated out of Ohio cities. A third of the population in Ohio lives in Ohio cities. Um, so it's important uh, that we uh, be a strong and, and vocal um, contributor uh, to, to what's happening at the state house. And they need to know uh, that decisions that they're making, the policies that they're debating uh, and contemplating and eventually decide to implement have, a, have an impact uh, on us. And uh, the more engaged we are in that conversation, um, I think the better uh, the outcomes will be. Do you think you've been successful at those lobbying? I do. So I, I think, you know, we're a little over two years old. Um, I would say that we've had um, some big wins. Uh, we've worked um, successfully on a number of issues. I think of small cell wireless, although, um, you know, with the FCC doing what they did um, in the last couple of weeks, that might have uh, a different outcome here than what we had originally thought. Um, I would say the redistricting effort, uh, we were a, a, a big part of that conversation. Uh, we were at the table. 
um, you know, really pleading uh, with um, decision makers um, to work together to come up with a bipartisan compromise um, in the spirit of working as a mayor, uh, in the spirit of working on behalf of cities uh, in Ohio. Um, and I'm looking forward to us being a leading voice relative to transportation infrastructure and what we're going to do with that uh, in 2019 and beyond. And are we are we going to have a coordinated statewide effort relative to the opioid crisis and or just addiction in general? Um, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to kind of uh, be a part of those conversations. And I think as an organized group of, of bipartisan mayors, uh, we're properly situated uh, to be effective. I wanted, before we get too far into these kind of like weightier state policy issues, I wanted to ask you about a controversy in your town, actually. In Findlay, there was the uh, anti or the Freedom from Religious Foundation yeah. or whatever they were called. <laughs> right. Basically, they... With our mural. Right. So yeah. they, for background, they were offended or felt, you know, they threatened to sue after there was a mural um, in the municipal building that basically had a Bible verse on it, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of walk us through that that controversy? I think it's like a good example of how maybe a more hot-button social issue can kind of hit on the local level? Yeah. So, um, you know, several years ago, uh, prior to me being uh, mayor, um, a group of artists, uh, local artists, got together uh, and put together, um, you know, they they actually had several pieces uh, of a canvas that eventually came together. And the, the, the portrait itself is actually an eagle. Um, and I think the verse is, under his wings you shall find refuge. Um, and they, they put it together and they donated uh, the piece of, of art uh, to the city of Findlay and requested that it, it have a, a place uh, in the municipal building. Um, and um, it was there for a very long uh, period of time. And I would say just within the last year, um, there were individuals from the Freedom uh, from Religious uh, Foundation that sent a letter basically demanding uh, that we take it down. Um, and to be quite honest, um, I feel like uh, there are a diverse uh, amount of religions that are practiced uh, in, in the city of Findlay. And in no, wa- in no way uh, do I feel like that particular piece of art uh, is offensive. And so we kind of stood our ground and said we weren't going to move it. Uh, we weren't taking it down. And it did get a lot of national attention. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, we shouldn't be afraid um, uh, of of issues uh, like that, and um, I, you know, our community. Um, I would say ninety percent of our community was very happy uh, with with the stance uh, that I took. However, um, you know, we have had issues uh, where um, you would think uh, in a conservative part of Ohio, um, you know, people would think differently, um, you know, and they've actually gone the other way. Uh, so. Um, it was an interesting time uh, for us, and every now and then uh, it 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 pops up uh, and is is an issue. But we feel strongly uh, that it can remain if someone else uh, were to donate um, another piece of work uh, depicting some other form uh, of religion. We would find a place uh, for it in the municipal building as well. But so you were on Fox and Friends during that whole thing. <laughs> I was, yeah, yeah. That was a that was a first time experience for me. And maybe that was, you know, your your kids probably started hearing more about you at that time, or I don't know, if, if you being on TV just kind of, you know, got you more exposure in the community and that kind of thing? Um, you know, I don't know uh, if that really had anything uh, to do with it. I, you know, I don't know that that was important um, to, to my children. I feel like they see me more so on the local news uh, when my in-laws have it on at their house. You mean your, um, your kids aren't big Steve Ducey fans? <laughs> I don't know that my kids know. I definitely don't think... Um, you know, they're, they're big Steve Ducey. They're fans. probably Morning Joe kids. They're, they're, you know, there was a time when, when Morning Joe was on a lot uh, in our house, not so much uh, anymore. 
<laughs> so how was that whole issue resolved? Like it, it just stayed up and it's there. No court challenges. It's there, and um, you know, to, to be quite honest, we were fully anticipating, um, you know, uh, a, a a challenge, a battle uh, with the freedom uh, from religious uh, or religion. I think foundation. And we haven't yet. Uh, that doesn't uh, mean to say uh, that, you know, they're going to listen to this and be like, oh, we're going to get it, uh, which, you know, I'm fine with. Uh, I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm comfortable in my community. And, um, you know, if and when uh, that opportunity presents itself, um, you know, we'll move forward. So I want to talk to you about um, some of your other stances on issues. Yeah. Um, you know, you, I've read interviews where you've described your city's struggle with poverty and food insecurity. Yeah. Um, that's not exactly an issue the Republican Party champions <laughs> all the time. Um, so, like, how does your experience as mayor and, you know, working on sort of these local issues that, uh, you know, aren't necessarily partisan in any way, yeah. how does it, like, shape your philosophy? You know, I would say, uh, first things first, when I took over uh, in 2012, we had no money. Uh, in fact, I think we were at a $4 million budget deficit. We couldn't pass a, f- a permanent budget. Um, there was a, a, a temporary budget that was passed by the council, um, I think, in the first council meeting of the year. So I had to figure out how to fill that gap. Um, and, you know, we were uh, at the tail end of the recession, and we, we had declining revenue and an income tax uh, increase that actually was getting ready to fall off the ballot. Um, so we had no money, and, and we were uh, struggling to figure out. I think we were in the midst of layoffs, too, which was one of the worst things uh, I've ever been through uh, in my career as, as mayor and don't want to ever have to go back um, that way again. Uh, but I guess the reason why I bring that up is because I think it's vitally important that you get your own house in order um, so that um, your local government uh, is a strong backbone and one that can help provide an environment so that people can be successful and have an opportunity to succeed. And uh, whether that's, you know, personally or in your business life, um, you know, wh- whatever that whatever that is, um, you have to have a local government that's responsive and healthy enough um, to be able to sustain you. And, you know, one of the things that there's a couple of things that have been uh, kind of nagging issues for us that traditionally local government in Finley really hasn't tackled. We've relied uh, very heavily on our local nonprofits to kind of lead the way. And I felt very strongly that while our nonprofits were doing uh, a good job of helping to bridge the gap, we weren't making uh, a whole lot of progress uh, in either homelessness uh, or or, um, childhood hunger. What have you done to address those issues? So what we're working with now um, is we have a Center for Civic Engagement, and we have seven different coalitions that are working on mental health and substance abuse, uh, transportation, homelessness, um, child poverty, um, and and hunger issues, um, food insecurity, um, those types of things. And we're actually looking at a a collective way uh, to have an impact uh, on those issues specifically. Um, and, you know, while we're still kind of in the coalition building stage and trying to understand what the, what the state of the problem is, um, we're in a much better situation uh, than what we were. Um, I would say the best thing that we can do, uh, at least from, from our perspective, is continue to make sure uh, that we have, you know, good paying jobs in Findlay, ensure that um, people who, um, you know, maybe are underemployed uh, or unemployed have a chance uh, at, at um, you know, making a, a good wage and also uh, providing a, a solid living for, for themselves and their families. And, you know, workforce development has a, you know, a key role to play in that. Education has a key role to play in that. But the city's not going to do it alone. Uh, so 
we've worked uh, very hard, and we, we like to talk a lot about the Finley formula. And it's the private sector, the public sector, and the nonprofit sector working together um, to achieve an outcome that hopefully, um, you know, it's going to take time. We didn't get here overnight, um, but it's going to take some time uh, for us to be successful. But uh, we've had small wins, um, you know, for, let's say, um, early childhood education, you know, uh, but um, we've got a long way to go. The other issue you hear about from local government officials all the time is that Governor Kasich built up this giant rainy day fund Mm -hmm. at the expense of local communities. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think of that? Is it that simple? I, you know, look, um, there are uh, several specific policy initiatives that have come out uh, of the State House and the governor's office in the last eight years that have had a significant impact uh, on um, local governments, and that's not just cities, uh, townships, uh, counties, uh, you name it. And um, while I think well-intended um, to try and make uh, Ohio a, a competitive place uh, for investment and job creation um, and people, um, you know, I think we talk all the time about how we're at this deficit relative to people. I mean, we, in order for us to, to be competitive and successful into the future, we've got to figure out a way to add, I think, you know, almost more than a million people. Um, so it, I, I think they were, um, I think the governor and I think the state legislature uh, was well intended, uh, but I, I don't think they understood uh, what the impact would be uh, to local governments. And if they did, um, well, I'm not sure uh, what to say about that. Um, and so I think that um, that's you know part of the impetus around us getting together uh, with the Ohio Mayor's Alliance. It's why the Ohio Municipal League has been so vocal uh, lately. Um, and it's not just necessarily local government funds. It's just been an erosion of, of home rule, um, the way we collect income taxes they, they want to have a say in. Um, it's hard to argue about um, the elimination of the estate tax. I thought that that was a good move uh, for us. But the constant uh, de- decline uh, in local government funds uh, to communities um, has been a huge detriment. Um, and maybe not necessarily uh, to us in Findlay uh, specifically, because we figured out a way to kind of grow our economic base uh, to be to make up for uh, that loss. Of course, it would be nice to have you know a little more than a million bucks uh, to take care of, of you know roads and bridges and those types of things uh, and parks. Uh, but um, there are communities that have not recovered uh, the way that we have. And you know I'm proud to stand uh, with my colleagues and advocate uh, on their behalf because. Um, you know, cities are where it's at. And if we don't have great places to live, uh, then we'll fall behind. And so my hope is that, you know, this next governor, uh, this new General Assembly uh, will be much more uh, local government friendly uh, and understand that there are um, huge implications to the decisions that they make uh, on our behalf um, in, 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 on Capitol Square. And, um, you know, I'm optimistic about what the future holds for us. There's also some national issues that have been of uh, some importance to Findlay. Um, the Whirlpool factory is there. Yeah. Um, and now we are in the midst of a trade war, I guess, yeah. with uh, steel and uh, uh, iron tariffs, I right. believe. Um, you know, how has this, um, this affected the local economy? And is it something, you know, what do you think of it? What do you think of the, the tariffs and what they've done to the local community? So really, um, you know, when you, when you take a look at, you know, what impact those specific decisions uh, have had on 
local economies. I don't think we have yet to see uh, what those impacts are. And I think it depends on where you're at. If you look at a place like Lorraine, for instance, um, the, the announcement of the tariffs actually spurred um, a steel plant uh, in Lorraine to say that they were going to uh, hire another, you know, a thousand jobs and do new investment and those types of things, which is great for Lorraine. Um, that where I, I think we will be challenged. Um, you know, we have a, a very large Japanese uh, company uh, population uh, in Findlay, a lot of tier one, tier two automotive suppliers. Uh, and I think really the impact uh, isn't necessarily going to be directly on the economy, but the cost of goods. Um, so, and, and I don't know that um, it'll be seen like in the next, you know, six months to a year. Uh, but as uh, new product lines come out and new vehicles uh, get built, um, these tariffs are definitely going to have an impact on the cost uh, of production, which are only going to be, uh, you know, pushed onto the consumer. And we may or may not notice that. I guess it depends uh, on, you know, what kind of car you're going to buy and, and how much of an increase we're going to see. Um, but in terms of uh, economic impact, um, we're actually seeing um, a very big surge uh, in job creation, a lot of new investment, uh, and also a lot of expansions uh, within Finley and Hancock County. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic that, that this will shake out, but I do know that there are areas uh, where it will be impacted more. So there's this kind of interesting policy discussion in Ohio that you have some areas that are doing better, um, and then you have other areas that are doing not so good, and you have some areas that are kind of, there's been disinvestment that's been kind of, you know, kind of pancaking for a long time. So the, the question is whether the government should prioritize resources towards areas that are doing well, or whether it should pay special attention to the areas that need more help. I, I guess, what do you think about that? You know, I think it's it's vitally important uh, for state government to be a partner uh, with our cities. And... We definitely have those uh, who have been lagging uh, behind for some time now and, you know, cities that have been kind of industrialized or um, disinvested and um, in um, those that, that definitely assist, need assistance. And I think the state's role is really uh, to, to play, um, you know, uh, as a partner uh, in getting uh, new investment and helping to create environments uh, that are conducive for that. Um, regardless of where you're at. And so I think about uh, water and wastewater improvements uh, that definitely need to be done in some of our older industrialized cities, hundreds of millions of dollars in upgrades uh, to those plants that, um, you know, they can't afford. And if they try and afford it uh, and they raise rates on their customers, we have an affordability issue, which certainly isn't fair. So I think the the government, uh, the state government in particular, could be um, a huge partner in that regard. But, you know, we've just got to work together to make Ohio a great place um, to, to live, work, learn, and play. And uh, we can't do that on our own. Uh, the state has to be a partner uh, in that. And, I've, you know, I've got a, uh, one of uh, my colleagues, John Cranley, uh, from Cincinnati. Um, you know, we, we work really well together. And he says all the time, you know, cities are not um, welfare recipients of the state. You know, we're creating um, you know, tax revenue and investment opportunities uh, in our in our state. And so, you know, my hope is that uh, we could figure out how to work together to help rebuild our cities. Um, infrastructure, obviously, uh, has a has a huge role to play uh, in that conversation. And you've actually visited the White House to talk about infrastructure issues, right? I have. I absolutely have. And and surprisingly, you know, I, I was not anticipating uh, playing a role uh, in those conversations and was invited um 
during this particular uh, president's tenure um, and have uh, had substantive uh, conversations with with staff um, and cabinet secretaries about uh, the ways that cities can work together with states but also uh, the federal government uh, to invest in infrastructure opportunities. Um, there are different opinions about how we go uh, about getting that done, uh, but I'm happy that Finley, Ohio is a seat at the table. Um, we've never had that before. And um, not only Findlay, uh, but Ohio has a seat at the table. I think uh, Mayor uh, Andy Ginther from Columbus and I were both a part of that original conversation. Um, and so uh, we look forward to seeing uh, where it goes. I think everyone's kind of been bogged down in the midterm conversation lately, and so there's not been much movement relative to the infrastructure uh, discussion. But it's vitally important uh, for the success of our nation, um, and it's, it's going to play a huge role in whether or not, um, you know, this economic resurgence uh, that you see happening uh, continues. So something that we found that was interesting when we were searching for this interview was that in June you visited the U.S.-Mexico border with other mayors, um, and it was described as a tent city uh, where the Trump administration had set up to basically process children that had been separated from their parents mm-hmm. at the border. Mm-hmm. Uh, why did you decide to do that? Well, first of all, I you know as a mother um, of three children, um, you know I my heart uh, was really breaking uh, for those families and the stories, regardless of whether, you know, you got the stories uh, from national uh, media outlets, uh, whether it was on TV or in print, um, you know, there were some really heart-wrenching things happening. Um, And as, you know, as I'm chair of uh, the Children, Health and Human Services Committee uh, at the U.S. Conference of Mayors and actually myself uh, and another Republican, Tom Tate from Anaheim, California, who happens to be the chair, uh, co-chair of our uh, immigration uh, task force. uh, We were at uh, an event together and we had a conversation around, um, you know, what are we going to do about this family separation policy? Because we weigh in on a lot of things uh, at the U.S. Conference of Mayors, and it, you know, it it runs the span of infrastructure to healthcare uh, and tax uh, policy and everything in between. Basically, anything that has an impact on our constituents, you know, we like to think that, um, you know, Congress and the White House want to hear from us. Um, and so, um, at, in this conversation with with Mayor Tate, I said, you know, what can we do? Um, And so we talked about, you know, maybe writing another letter um, to the president and then also to congressional leaders. But at the end of the day, what we we discussed was, you know, having our presence known uh, at the border. And I went because I thought it was important. I still believe uh, that it's an inhumane policy. Um, You know, there are people who um, are coming to this country because they want a better life. And their their current uh, environment, their current space or where they came from, um, is not a place in which uh, they feel like they can be successful. And, you know, my position on immigration policy is probably a little bit different um, from those to the right of me, but I still feel like America uh, is the place uh, to go uh, for, for opportunity. And um, what, what we were doing, and even to some extent what we still do um, in, in certain parts uh, and parts of entry, ports of entry in this country, is just wrong. And we were, we were taking children in the dead of night on, you know, midnight flights uh, to places thousands of miles away uh, from their parents. And the likelihood of them ever seeing them again was, you know, pretty slim. And I think, you know, we still have a good amount of children who have yet to be reunited. Um, I read an article the other day about um, a grandmother who took her child um, across the border uh, and she hasn't seen her uh, for six months. 
Um, so, you know, there are things uh, that are happening. And should we have secure borders? Absolutely. Should we have a comprehensive immigration policy? Absolutely. But we have to be able to have these conversations and do it um, in a spirit of, of, of us all being human beings. And the people who are trying to come to the United States are not um, all criminals and people that wish to do us harm. They want a better place. Um, they want a better place to be and to live and to raise their family and to have success and an opportunity at, at their version of the dream. And um, I felt very strongly uh, that what we were doing relative to the family separation policy uh, wasn't okay in my book. So around the time that issue first came up, we actually had a Republican member of Congress on our show, and I'm not trying to throw him under the bus or anything. So and uh, so we, we won't, oh, it's, it's Bill Johnson. So, okay. and we asked him about it and, and you got the sense that it was something that concerned him, but that mm -hmm. he was reluctant to really be perceived as being too critical of the president. And maybe he wanted to kind of let the issue play out and that kind of stuff. Um, we now hear, as we've been going through this process, uh, entering the, the midterms, you actually hear Republicans now say, oh, yeah, I oppose that. You know, if you ask them what's an example of you um, not just being locked up with your party, but you didn't hear from them really in the moment. So why do you think that Republicans are so reluctant to be critical of this president when it comes to stuff they disagree on? You know, I just think we're in a different era of politics. And um, unfortunately, um, we are hesitant to be vocal about when we disagree with those in our own party because we're concerned about what impact that could potentially have uh, on a reelection. Um, or just, you know, it could, it could make their life miserable. Um, and so, you know, I encourage, uh, you know, um, different ideas and um, a diversity of thought regardless of which party uh, you belong to. Um, and, you know, I think uh, we all should be, you know, human beings first. And I don't know why, um, you know, some people were so reluctant uh, to have a conversation. You know, I mentioned uh, Senator Portman uh, early on. Um, you know, he was someone who came out and said, um, you know, this, this, this policy is wrong and we need to fix it. And he came at it uh, from a perspective of, you know, he was in charge uh, of the committee that was evaluating uh, how they were handling this in the past in DHS um, and HHS uh, and, and their lack of accountability uh, with um, unaccompanied minors uh, that had made their way uh, into the country. Uh, and where, you know, those two federal agencies had just lost track of children. Um, and he was very critical of it and, and still to this date um, has, been, has been critical and has been insistent on, on them finding a better way uh, to do it. Um, and so there, there were some Republicans that came out and said, you know, um, you know, this is wrong and some that didn't. But I got to tell you, you know, back to the conversation about the mural that we had. Um, I, I definitely recognized uh, that what I was doing and going with my colleagues to the border uh, there in Tornillo, uh, Texas, um, could potentially have an impact uh, on me. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised that, you know, the 90% of the population that was standing up uh, for the right to have uh, the mural in the municipal building, 90% of that population uh, was standing up for me um, to go and, and advocate on behalf of children. Um, you know, entering the country. And so um, I think it's just a matter of just doing what you feel uh, is right. And um, there's been some great examples uh, of that happening, but unfortunately, um, I think it gets lost uh, in, it gets lost in the conversation every now and then.
So if you're still listening to this interview by now, I think you can probably, uh, you know, discern, you know, Lydia is a little bit unconventional for the Republican Party, especially from what we've seen the last, you know, two or three years. Uh, I don't know what you thought about it, but it was really interesting to hear her kind of talk about how she's, you know, perfectly willing to buck the party on something. Um, you know, you, you get a lot of talk about that from both sides of the aisle, like, yeah, we'll buck the party, we'll buck the party. Um, she, she actually does it pretty frequently. And I don't know, I thought that was a, just a really interesting uh, uh, piece of info about her. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I guess if you're looking at this from like a practical political perspective, she has the luxury of not really owing anybody anything at this stage of her career. Um, you know, when you rise through the ranks, you're basically, you become increasingly beholden to the party and the party becomes increasingly beholden to whatever issue you want to pick. And so, um, you know, so the stakes are a little bit lower. I mean, when it comes to the political stuff that she wants. And so I, I obviously, you know, she's somebody who seems ambitious and she has expressed interest in, in eventually running for something somewhere down the line. And by the way, credit to her for like, we like to ask people, hey, what do you want to run for in the future? And I mean, she didn't say like, oh, I want to be president, you know, but at the same time, she uh, engages in the question, I think, a little bit more candidly than often we get on the show. I think the only other person who actually gave us an answer was um, P.G. Sittenfeld, who told us he wanted to be senator. And I mean, I guess technically Joe Schiavone, who was running for governor That's at the true. time. But so uh, nonetheless... It's something that kind of comes through generally when we've interviewed younger politicians on this show is I, I think that, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, if future, when they kind of grow up, like when I grow up and you grow up and when they all grow up, if they'll continue to be more candid, you know, it's it's interesting to see, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to believe that the future generation of leaders will be less ideological, they'll be more flexible. Um, they'll, again, they'll just be more candid, less calculating, you know, so it doesn't mean that she she gets how things play politically um and she's cognizant of that and you know you that's something even i'm sort of a limited public figure as a reporter and i kind of sometimes will think about how would this play if i do whatever you know so it, it's always in the back of your mind but at the same time like i said it's not like she um has gotten to the level where she needs to be beholden i mean maybe she never will get there you know andrew asked me about a bunch of tweets that he wants to send out and i always tell him to send them but he doesn't always listen to me um yeah you know i think when you talk about especially the younger generation. She, I guess, is a zennial, ex-ennial, whatever it's called. I, um, I, I like old millennial just because... Old millennial. I like See, I always, thought I, was, I always thought I was kind of an old millennial, but whatever. Um, but, you know, she, she did kind of mention the sort of the pervasive cynicism that is in politics today and how she really, you know, just honestly just didn't want to, like, doesn't want to play by that rule. And, yeah, I think you, you bring up something interesting where it's like going forward as we do see more people, um, you know, her age and even our age uh, going into public life, does that sort of uh, cynicism where you're, you know, completely beholden to, well, what's this going to look like in TV or in print or whatever, or do they just kind of, you know, go out and do what they believe? So I'll be a cynic. Uh, I think that increasingly as you advance in your political career, you have to make a series of compromises. So, I mean, I guess maybe we can re return to this years from now if she ends up running for something. But, um, I mean, it was, it was interesting. You know, we had Ted Strickland on recently, and he basically, in 2016, ran the campaign he wanted to run, and he got smashed. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah, that's so, true. I guess, you know, it's there's no universal lessons in politics, but... Uh, I, I, I do think it's it'll be interesting to see kind of what plays well as, as voters kind of 30 under, maybe a little older, uh, start aging and becoming a more sizable uh, portion of the election block. Plus, 
you're going to get some really good trash talk about basketball with, uh, um, you know, about Richard Cordray. Um, so just so you know, we are going to try and set up the, well, we'll let you listen to it. We're going to try to set it up. I'm not optimistic about it, but you will hear some basketball trash talk and I think you're going to enjoy it with that. Let's go ahead and listen to the rest of the interview with Lydia Mahalik. So you talk about poverty and hunger, family separation at the border, redistricting and Columbus taking money from local government. <laughs> You've been critical of President Trump in the past, including, if I'm not mistaken, you didn't support him in 2016. I didn't support. Um, I, I actually I did support him um, towards the end uh, of 2016. Um, I would say I was an advocate of, of Governor Kasich uh, prior to that. I think that's fair to call like hesitant support maybe yes. or something. yes. So, I mean, my question is, all these issues kind of add up, and I I just kind of wonder, like, why are you a Republican? Oh, uh, (laughs) well, you know. What is it about you that makes you I mean, I don't think think, um, that having a a say in those uh, particular issues, um, you know, know, defines me um, as identifying with one party or another. Um, You know, I think... Uh, we were talking about this earlier. I think, you know, being um, someone who's a bit younger um, in politics, uh, someone who maybe has a little more pragmatic approach uh, to things, I think someone who has had to not necessarily uh, toe a party line in uh, the way I administer local government, um, I think that's what uh, defines me is, you know, just looking at uh, what I've been able to accomplish um, you know, over time, just because I have an opinion uh, about, um, you know, those particular things doesn't make me any less of a Republican. Um, and I think that's maybe that's where we're getting at now is, you know, where, um, you know, issues of social concern relative to that, you know, if, if you have an, have an opinion about them um, or care about them, you know, all of a sudden, well, there's no way you could be a Republican. But to be quite honest, there are a lot of Republicans that care about those things. Uh, that just doesn't necessarily get a lot of media coverage um, because maybe it doesn't fit the narrative. Um, at, at the end of the day, we're responsible for the constituencies that we represent and that, you know, there are people in our communities, regardless of whether or not uh, some people like to admit it, but, you know, they're struggling. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable uh, in my own skin and uh, happy to identify uh, as a Republican. And it's interesting you, you brought that up. The, uh, you know, so the Republicans released an autopsy in 2012 after the Mitt Romney defeat mm-hmm. um, and then proceeded to completely ignore it in mm-hmm. 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're a, I guess, an, did you call yourself an older millennial? Or? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know that I'm a millennial, but uh, you can call me an older you millennial. You are yeah. a, a zenial or yeah, whatever, the, zenial, whatever the yeah. middle is there? Yeah. But anyway, you're you know a younger lawmaker. Yeah. Um, Millennials are like rapidly becoming the largest voting block in the mm-hmm. country, um, and polling shows that they aren't necessarily excited about being Democrats, but they do prefer Democrats and actively don't like Republicans. Mm. Um, you know, especially Trump. Mm. And you know, the question I have for you, as someone who you know you've gotten into politics, you said mm-hmm. you want to do this. You mm-hmm. obviously have um, you know a passion for it. Mm-hmm. Is um, you know, is the current trajectory of the party? the Republican Party, um, is it tenable? Um, because you talk about a lot of things that the party, frankly, doesn't talk about. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that, um, you know, a lot has changed uh, since 2012, and 2016 is definitely no exception. Um, and the state of politics in general in the United States is changing. Um, and I think in order for us um, as a party um, to gain uh, that buy-in 
and um, to hopefully uh, in, in someday, you know, influence them to support Republican policies and or just Republican candidates, um, we've got to show success and we've got to show that we care about the issues that are important to them. And um, identity politics is a big deal right now. Um, and my hope is that, you know, there, there's a really good uh, group of Republicans out there and I think they care genuinely about making um, whatever environment that they're operating in better uh, for not only the current generation, but future generations. And I think the more we can communicate and be, um, be transparent about how compassionate uh, we are uh, and how we do care about those issues, um, you know, the more successful we'll be. You know, you described yourself as a moderate mm-hmm. as well. Um, those seem to be kind of an endangered species on both in both <laughs> parties now. Um, but, but do you think there is like a growing sentiment of people who are looking for moderates, or um, are they are, are politicians like you possibly slowly going away as we cede ground to the the, the polls of each end? Yeah, you know, I think uh, actually um, I see more uh, people um, in the middle than I do uh, the extreme ends uh, of the spectrum. Um, and I think that the large vote, uh, a large majority of the voting bloc is in uh, the middle. Um, and I think uh, that's how, uh, you know, you, we should govern. And while, um, you know, harsh political tone plays well uh, in the media, whether that's in print uh, or, you know, pick your favorite um, you know, 24 hour <laughs> or, or your favorite 24 hour news cycle uh, show, television show, um, and maybe podcasts. I mean, I, I you know, um, I, I just think that, you know, the more people are, are willing to just talk about how they solve problems and less about um, the problems themselves and how we got there and who's responsible, um, I think, you know, the, the, the voting population is going to respond. And if we just continually point fingers at one another and, and take positions uh, that are so, you know, polar opposite of the other, then we'll never get anything done. I mean, just look at what's going on in Washington. Um, we barely uh, were able to get, you know, tax reform done. We haven't had a substantive conversation about infrastructure yet. Healthcare has yet to be resolved. Um, there's a lot going on there. And we've, as Republicans, have had control uh, for some time now. Um, and we need to show more than just tax uh, reform success in order for us uh, to maintain control. And I think ultimately, um, I think ultimately, it's going to be uh, who has the best ideas and who can get the most buy-in for that. And it's, um, you know, my hope is that uh, members uh, who are elected uh, of the Republican Party uh, can ultimately get that done. But at the end of the day, um, you know, um, you know, at the at the end of the day. You know, my hope is that, you know, we just do things as opposed to just argue about them uh, all the time. So on Twitter, you shared a 60-minute segment featuring interviews with Heidi Heidkamp, I'm senator so from, this from North Dakota. Yeah. And then she's a Democrat who voted against the, the confirmation of uh, uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. Yeah. And then you had uh, Susan Collins from Maine, who, a Republican who voted for it. Mm-hmm. And you, I don't remember exactly what you wrote, but you praised them for their thoughtfulness and yeah. the way they approached it with civility. Uh, yeah. Why did you do that? You know, because I feel strongly that um, there's there's less civility and um, intentional dialogue that occurs uh, uh, between uh, our elected representatives anymore. And I felt very strongly uh, when I watched that interview that those two women uh, were 
uh, felt very strongly uh, about the way they voted. You could tell uh, that they had spent a ton of time um, thinking about uh, the vote, um, what impact it could potentially have on on their future. Um, and I think ultimately they made the decision they did because they felt like it was the right thing to do, not necessarily what is politically expedient. And I felt like to have two women uh, from the U.S. Senate on national television demonstrating that leadership quality um, was worthy uh, of a retweet. And so, you know, that's why uh, I did what I did. So we've had some discussion on this show about how that situation is going to play out politically, and it's difficult to know exactly. But yeah. what, what do you think? And, and how did you feel about that, that process? Well, you know, first and foremost, uh, the story uh, that Dr. Ford uh, told uh, was, um, you know, heart-wrenching uh, from my perspective. And it was clear uh, that something very traumatic uh, had occurred uh, to her. And um, I felt awful uh, about that. I also uh, had um, a great deal of compassion um, for Judge Kavanaugh, who uh, was in the national spotlight uh, and accused of a very, very serious crime. And for both of them to have to go through uh, that deliberation um, and that interview, uh, in the, the, the hearing, uh, publicly um, took a ton of courage uh, on both sides. And ultimately, you know, I think that, uh, and I believe, uh, that the Senate made the right choice, uh, given the lack of corroborating uh, individuals and evidence uh, to substantiate her claims. Um, I felt like they made the right choice. However, um, you know, sexual assault is an awful, horrible thing. And it is my hope um, that the testimony that Dr. Um, Blasley Ford gave uh, during those confirmation hearings, um, you know, gave other women who have maybe suppressed um, an incident like that in their life, gave them um, courage to come out and talk about it uh, because it clearly had an impact on her. Um, I mean, she talked uh, from beginning to end about all of the different nuances uh, that, that she's had to deal with since that time. Um, and I feel horrible about it. Um, and I wish uh, we truly knew um, who the individual was uh, that perpetrated that crime against her. Um, because it was, a, it, was a sad, it was a sad, sad story and, and one that I think too many women know all too well. So before we go, I think we're, we're going to cut to the chase about an hour into this show, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, we did want to have you on the show because uh, we, we do like to have sort of uh, the, the rising stars, so to speak. So, you know, we, could, we can say we had them on before it was cool or anything yeah. like that. Um, so, you know, you're obviously young. You ran for office when you were young. Mm -hmm. what's, uh, what, what's the future look like? What are you looking for in the future? First of all, I don't have a crystal ball. And I believe strongly that I'm in a good position right now to uh, be an effective leader in the public sector. Um, and I feel uh, as though, you know, as I said earlier, being mayor is one of the best jobs in the country. And it's one of the best elected offices anybody uh, could hold. And I'm proud uh, of what I've been able to accomplish over the last two terms. And I look forward uh, to doing a lot more uh, as mayor uh, of Findlay. 
Uh, but uh, I've been, uh, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to have the conversation about, um, you know, what the future looks like and um, if and when uh, that opportunity uh, presents itself again. Um, you know, I'll deliberate uh, it with uh, a great deal of thought and consultation with my family, uh, and I'll need to be comfortable um, in, in, in whatever uh, that could potentially be. Uh, but um, I have a passion for service. Um, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at, uh, but also recognize uh, that I have, um, I have something to represent uh, and I have something to say. And I want to be a part of, you know, uh, of the success of the state of Ohio uh, moving forward. So we heard actually that you were kind of in the mix uh, to be appointed to the state Senate when Cliff Height resigned. Uh, I don't know if that's something you want to talk about on the show, but uh, what was your thought and I guess not seeking that position? Yeah, well, um, first of all, um, the state Senate um, seat uh, came uh, open uh, in a very abrupt way. Uh, I don't think anybody uh, was anticipating it uh, to go uh, in that fashion, and and to be quite honest, Senator Height's service uh, to uh, the district uh, was great, um, and um, you know I I thought that he was a, a leading voice uh, down at the state of Ohio and a great representative uh, of the city of Finley. It was unfortunate uh, that his tenure ended the way it did. Um, so I would say uh, the consideration uh, was there for me uh, to be one uh, of the individuals who uh, were to be um, in. Um, in the conversation uh, around the appointment, um, thought about uh, what what that could mean, um, th- talked with my family about uh, what it would be like to represent uh, 11 counties <laughs> in our district, um, and then looked at really uh, what the runway uh, was um, uh, just for, you know, uh, Finley stuff, and uh, felt strongly that my role uh, would be better um, served uh, as mayor of Findlay uh, than it would at that time uh, in the state senate seat. What's your dream job in politics? I don't really have a dream job yet. Um, you know, look, I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm, you know, former athlete. Uh, still feel strongly about the team concept, um, and uh, whatever it is that I do. Uh, I just want to be able to contribute significantly and a meaningful way and in a way um, that, you know, leaves whatever place I'm representing better um, than, than the way I found it. And, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable uh, with that. But I haven't, you know, I, look, I wasn't even planning on being mayor, uh, and that just kind of happened. Um, so who knows uh, what the future holds uh, for me, but I'm, I'm grateful to be um, a part of a good group. I'm grateful uh, to have the relationships that I do. Um, and, you know, we'll see what happens from here. So you mentioned that, uh, you know, back earlier that you were a college athlete, you played basketball. You're actually I, did. The, I believe you're the second basketball player we've had on the show. Oh yeah. Right? Who's the first one? Rich Cordray. Rich Cordray. <gasps> oh yeah. So we I need to talk about Rich's jump shot. Cause I saw it the other day and I thought, wow. So I, I actually went and I watched could... him. I, I watched him play. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I'm going to give him a little bit of kudos yeah. for being, you know, he's <laughs> you know, 60 years old or whatever. Um, you know, it's okay. Yeah. It, it's, it's not bad. Yeah. So I'm curious. Uh, oh, he compared his game to Kevin Love. Who, oh. Who's your pro game? Oh, my gosh. Um, are you the LeBron of Ohio politics? Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? Um, I would never even uh, think to be <laughs> in that same uh, gymnasium. Um, but, um, you know, uh, you know, probably, um, gosh. 
you know, I want to go back uh, to when, you know, like I was a kid. Um, and, you know, I think that Scottie Pippen played one heck of a role uh, on uh, the Bulls. I, I can get down with that. Yeah. I'm from Illinois, so yeah. I love the Bulls. And, you know, that was my team uh, growing up because I, you know, it wasn't too far uh, from Chicago. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable playing a role, but I'm also comfortable uh, taking the ball and leading uh, on occasion and scoring uh, when I need to. But uh, when I was in college, um, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed basketball. And um, every now and then I still get to play it, and I enjoy it. So Rich said he thought of himself as a Kevin Love. I actually thought of him more as a Tony Kukoc. As a Tony which, Kukoc, you know, yeah. You, yeah, you will know. But, yeah. Um, yeah. My next question is who wins a one-on-one game between you two? Me. All day? All day. All every day. day. Are you yeah. calling him out here? I am. Let's do it. All right. I'm ready. We're going to have to get that set up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's a little busy right now, uh, but, you know, um, if, 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 uh, if I got the opportunity, gosh, I would enjoy that uh, thoroughly. We'll have to figure it out. Yeah. So. I'm pretty competitive. I'm a pretty competitive person. I'm ready. So. And I'm, I'm definitely a competitive basketball player. All right, Lydia, so. thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. We really appreciated having you on. Yeah, so. you're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. You guys are great. Thank you so much. 